Hello and welcome to the Limerick Community Voices podcast presented by Limerick Public Participation Network. The PPN is a network of community voluntary, social inclusion and environmental organisations working to improve the lives of people in Limerick City and County. Limerick Public Participation Network enables the community to be represented in decision-making processes such as Limerick City and County Council committees and local public consultation processes. We believe that by working together we can better share ideas and information, amplify our voices and help create a better Limerick for all. To find out more and to get involved with the PPN, please visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. This podcast brings you the voices of some of the many great people involved in the PPN. In each episode, we learn a little about each guest, how they got started in the work they are doing and their thoughts on making a difference in the community. Without further ado, let's join our host, Rory McKiernan, for this episode of the Limerick Community Voices podcast. Hello, Rory here, and I'm delighted to be a guest host of this episode of the podcast. In it, we hear from Seamus O'Connor. Seamus is the Chief Officer to the Local Community Development Committee at Limerick City and County Council. So let's jump right in and get started with this conversation with Seamus O'Connor. Hello, Seamus. You're very, very welcome to the podcast. How are you keeping today? I'm good, thanks, and happy to be here and talking to you. Lovely sunny day here in Limerick City. The sun is uh, glistening in the window. It's, it's nice to get it. Always sunny in Limerick. Always sunny in Limerick. Well, see, there, this is why you're a, you're a good ambassador for Limerick, but also the community. I was reading about your work earlier, and I, I kind of got exhausted reading about the, the, the number of things that you're involved in. Um, but probably maybe to understand more about your current role, we maybe will go back to the past and, and find out maybe where it all began. But if you don't mind, maybe tell me about where you're originally from and where you grew up. I'm originally from West Limerick, West County Limerick, um, a place called Broadford. I went to school there, primary school. And following my secondary school education, I went to Scotland where I studied social science and qualified as a social worker. And I practiced in Dundee, Scotland. I worked as a social worker for a few years um, with Dundee City Council. Then I came back to Ireland and I worked for the Old Eastern Health Board for a short period of time in Dublin. And then I moved to Limerick and to Limerick County Council at the time, now Mm. City and County Council. And I spent a a long number of years working in housing, initially as a social worker, but then doing more generic housing work. Mm. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I moved into the community development area. And I suppose there was lots of changes in terms of local government back in 2014, with the new legislation being introduced and a requirement that we would spend a lot more time and focus more on communities, whether or not transitional role of building houses, bridges and roads and moving on to the next project. We're now very much more engaged with our communities and supporting communities. So it's kind of new for the council in many ways, mm. even though we always work with communities. Mm. But there's a much better structure around that now, mm. including the PPN. So it's an area I was interested in, mm. I like working in. And, you know, I find it very fulfilling, really, based on my background and mm. you know, what, I, what I always wanted to do. Yeah, I'm curious about that now as a, as a young man, like as a 16 or 17 year old that you made that decision, that that was a very clear decision to get involved in, a, in social issues, you know. Um, what inspired that or did you, you know, did you have, was it a family influence or did you have mentors or guides? Because it was clearly a, a conscious decision. Well, I suppose it was, but in many ways it was my own decision. I mean, it was something that I suppose I looked at various things happening at the time and almost 
I suppose when I saw an injustice or something that was wrong, I would like to stand up for it. So in many ways, it came from that, I think, myself. Mm. And um, wanting, to, and I suppose wanting to work with people. I like working with people. I mean, I wouldn't be a guy who would sit down and work with on a computer all day or on a, you know, you know, on a factory floor. Yeah. yeah. I want to work with You like people. being out and about. And, yes. And, yeah. And I find people good to work with. Yeah. I find it very interesting. And you learn a lot from people. Yeah. 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 And and did you did you set up because these days obviously with the internet and everything there's more information available more options, um, but you obviously found out about Scotland and you made the decision to go over there. Was that a big big leap for you? Well, I suppose it was a big leap because I was young at the time. Yeah. Um, but it was the best option for me at the time in terms of what courses were available, um, because I was seeking a professional qualification which I could was able to get into Scotland to do it in mm. Dundee. Um, it was a big move, maybe a brave move for me at the time. I remember yeah. my first flight, first time flying, first time arriving in a, in yeah. a new country and not understanding how the airport worked, but I got through it anyway. And, I, yeah. I was, and there were different times then as well for Irish people going to the UK, I suppose, in terms of travelling. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm additionally interested because I went to college in Scotland myself. All right. I went to Paisley. Oh, Paisley. Uh, so it wasn't too far down the road from you. But... Um, I suppose I, I ended up studying business and it was only years later that I realised that I should have been studying what you were studying. So okay. I'm conscious that you were you got ahead of me and you were obviously had a, a level of insight and clarity, which is really admirable. Um, but there was a real vocational call there, clearly, and the yeah. injustice bit is, is critical. Yeah. Were you were you someone that was reading the newspaper and, and paying attention to current affairs and, and really oh, I, looking I, at the world? I certainly would have been, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that... Um, I suppose I was political in a way as well. I was interested in politics as well, and um, just just interested really in kind of the human issues at the time, um, you know, and what was wrong and what was right, and yeah, to stand up for those who weren't being treated well. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my experience in Scotland also is um, there's a lot of inequality there, as there is here, um, particularly in like urban housing and urban poverty. And did you experience any of that in in Dundee? Very much so. I think there's a bigger divide in Scotland. I think most of them, even though there's, there's, there's differences here in terms of, the, I think the UK generally has a different kind of a divide. It's, it's kind of very black and white in some ways. Um, even look at the social housing options or the social housing locations, even that tend to be far away from services. Now, some maybe here too in some ways, but but high levels of social housing as well. I mean, a different attitude to housing, I mm. suppose. Like we have, we have a very high tendency to want to own our housing, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. Neither mm. is people wanting wanting social housing. Mm. I mean, there's some very good social housing options out there in, mm. in the UK and Scotland and here as well. Mm. But certainly there was a lot of poverty in the 80s. I was there in the 80s, okay? Mm. Um, Maggie Thatcher would have been the Prime Minister. Mm. Lots of poverty and lots of anger, I suppose, at the time as well with the national government there. Mm. Um, high unemployment, you know, so it was... High drugs, high level of drug drug misuse at the time in Dundee, particularly. Mm. So, so you really got a full spectrum kind of induction into the the whole gambit, you know. I certainly did. Yeah. And was it from Dundee then that you chose to come back to Ireland? What what drew you back to Ireland? Well, I came back when my son was born, so that's what we said we would do. Um, so my son was born and we came back. Mm. I worked for a short while. I worked for about a year in Ballymun with Eastern Health Board, and then I got the job in Limerick. So. Ended up back to where I came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, the pull was strong. Home. Uh, was that? Did you have that sort of loyalty thing going on where you wanted? I think you do, and I mean, I think I spent a lot of my life 
at that stage living in cities. I lived in Dublin for a number of years yeah. as well. I lived in Dundee. And, but when your children, I am a rural person. So when your child is born, you see, you can appreciate the value of rural life as well. So mm. got the chance to come back and I came back. Mm. So, so you, you also, you know, because we talk about Limerick and we, there's a clear kind of demarcation between sort of city and county, you know, um, but you you straddle both essentially, oh, uh, particularly yeah. in your job, you know. Yeah, yeah I think that um, for those of whom you not know, remember, in Limerick we had two councils: we had a county council and we had a city council. But following new legislation as part of, I suppose, local government reform agenda. We created a new authority in Limerick, which was the amalgamation of the former city and co- former county council. So now we have one council in Limerick, Limerick City and County Council, which I think has been a great move. It doesn't mean we were too small, I think, in many ways to have two 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 um, councils. So that has been a great move, and I think there's um, lots of projects now and work, working together closer with the city and the county, which always wasn't the case. We have to see. Um, and that was a big step and big, big history. I suppose a big part of history in Olympic local government was about the creation of the, the new authority, but it's been successful. And I think people were, there were some reservations at the time by some people, but I think everyone has accepted now that it is, it has been a good move and it is being successful. Mm. And we're a bigger authority. Mm. So what, around about what year was it that you, that you moved back from Dublin then to, to Limerick? Oh, 1992. Okay, so so it was kind of a pre-regeneration period. It was, yes. But you would have also then seen the beginnings of all of that. Why would you? Yeah. 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 Can you talk to me about that time? Because it was a time when when Limerick was kind of up for debate, rightly and wrongly, yeah. um, and there was a lot of kind of discussion and exploration around big decisions, and right. it was a kind of a rebirth time for Limerick in some ways. And yeah. I think at the time, just remember, I was in the county council at the time, so the regeneration project was in the city council, but we did work closely with them. Um, it was a very difficult time for the people of Limerick, especially the people in the regeneration areas. Um, when you look back now, you'd wonder how did it happen, or how, how was it allowed to happen? But there was some great leadership shown there in, in some of the communities, in some communities, and with some agency people as well. And... And politicians, I think that some brave decisions were made that had to be made. Right? Some funding was, re- was needed to really tackle the issue. And I think that between the local authorities, national politi- the national politicians and local politicians, mm-hmm. and I have to come into Gardaí as well and Garda Shikana, some great, some actions were taken and some steps were taken. And we've been lucky in Limit that we have been able to get the funding for the regeneration programme and it was extended. And you would not, some parts of the regeneration areas now, you look at them and they have been transformed. You know, there's a difference in attitude. People are happier there, better living conditions, more employment options, there's more confidence about it. And um, so you'd have to admire the people in those communities for, for, for not just for achieving that, but for working with us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, Now, there are some areas we still have concerns, there are still problems and challenges there, mm-hmm. still progress to be made. But it has been a good example of what can be done by working together and having a significant investment, which is which was required. Mm. Um, yeah, because you can have all the, the best ideas in the world and if you don't have the money to, yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. And I suppose the important thing about regeneration was it's not just about building houses or knocking houses, it's about supporting the communities and regenerating mm-hmm. the communities. Mm and deliver something and have something that is sustainable, you know. 
we can't, like, no government and no one can just walk away from the regeneration projects now, programs, and think that they can just survive without some transitional support. Mm. So, and that's what we're looking at at the moment, you know, mm. in terms of how can we, how can we ensure that the progress that has been made will continue and be sustained, and also ensure and work with the communities where there are still serious challenges for them. Mm. And But it's an interagency project with all the agencies and all the stakeholders, and particularly with the communities themselves and the mm. community leaders. Yeah, so so community leadership is, is obviously a very important dynamic here, and mm. we've all seen where, you know, projects could be done in a sort of paternalistic type of way, and they, they might get done, but they could be done with a lot of resistance and, and tension in the air, and so it's this kind of idea, partnership really is critical, isn't it? I think partnership is critical, I think listening is critical, okay, that... Um you know, the communities of the community leaders have a very good insight of what is happening, what is needed, and what will work or won't work. Okay, so we are now in a position where we have where we may not so much before, but certainly people now realize the value of that. Okay, that you know, you listen to the people that matter, okay, and listen to the people who know. We may not always agree in terms of what can be done because sometimes we can't just do what they think should be done. It could be outside of our control, but I think listening now is the important thing and sharing and sharing information, being open and transparent and we're all equals in a way in this project, mm. in any project, any social project. Mm. Do you, I wonder, uh, end up in some ways as a slight kind of intermediary role between the council and the communities and you could be pulled in either direction so you, it's hard for you to stand your own ground or you, you, you're kind of trying to keep everybody happy? I think I think sometimes maybe I mean I think the politicians would have would certainly be in that position sometimes yeah. okay, but I think the difficult I think the one thing that's key is communication. I think mm. that you know sometimes the communities or individuals might want something mm. maybe you can't deliver it. But it's very important that they give, they're given a reason why. Mm. You know sometimes you just say no to something, and people don't understand the reasoning for your mm. decision. Right, mm. it makes it more difficult for them. You know, mm. but once you explain, and I mean you should have a reason. Mm. as to why you're saying no to something or why you can't do something mm. just make sure that you explain that clearly to them they may not like it but at least they can say look I got a reason for you yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm really getting a sense that the importance of respect of course yeah. and trust building then yeah mm. yeah because th those relationships like you don't know when you're going to need to talk to them about something next year or next yeah. month mm -hmm. yeah and I think that's important I think that there was a divide before maybe between the communities and, and the agencies, but I think mm. that's narrowing. Mm. And we are more open now to, to speak, listening, sorry, um, listening and talking to them um, and being open with them, really. And, you know, people are intelligent. People understand the processes. They understand the challenges we have. We need to understand the challenges they have too, okay? Mm. So I think going back to what respect, certainly, yes, you have to be respectful. Mm. Yeah, so so you you referenced the the idea that there was a divide and it, it's it's lessened, uh, but it's by no means ended as such. And, and maybe these divides never end when there's yeah. you know institutional bodies and community groups and so on. Mm -hmm. So I suppose that speaks to the importance of mutual space and spaces to come together, space to dialogue, deliberate, debate. Yes, uh, and and the PPN being one such place that opens up. Uh, a dynamic for the community to interact with decision makers. Yeah. I think the public participation network, the PPN, is certainly a very good structure in terms of allowing communities, be it from the social, 
the community or the environmental pillars to engage with us at a policy level. Okay. I think it is an extremely challenging comp um, structure for the members themselves. It's making lots of demands on the members in terms of their time and their commitment. Many are working, many have full-time, you know, have other things to do in their lives, okay, but so it's quite a demanding structure. But I think that, you know, since it began in 2014, 2015, it has progressed very, very well. Um, and while I'm saying it can be challenging for the members, it's also very challenging for us in the local authority because it's going back to what we said earlier about respect and equal. You know, that um, this is alien, I suppose, in some ways to local government, okay? Um, since back in the early 2000s, we had, you know, different structures for, for representation, but that we have to accept as well, and I think we do, is that they are equal partners around the table, um, that they need to be treated as such, um, I think there has been understanding, though, from both all the pillars, be the, the politicians, be the other sectors, be the PPN reps, of what what the work is about. It's policy development. It has to be, you know, we have to look at all our responsibilities on that, okay? And we have to ensure that what is being recommended for adoption is deliverable, okay? And is reasonable, okay? You know, um... But we certainly want to respect them. We try to have structures in place where they are consulted fully, they get advanced notice of meetings, get advanced documentation when it's necessary. Mm. But it is something that I think we in the local government maybe are finding it a bigger challenge in many ways Yeah, to, to, to get to there, okay? Yeah, so there's an element of culture change as well. Of course, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah and, and that that takes time and, and it takes leadership, I suppose. I keep hearing the word leadership of... Uh, you know, why it's important for people to step forward and take on these challenges yeah. because we all have our frustrations with how we want things to be better. But the tendency can be for somebody else to sort it out. Yeah. yeah. And maybe to somebody else is me and you in that people, we need people to step forward. Yeah. I think that, you know, certainly strong leadership is important. And we have that within the PP and now we've got an excellent secretariat. I think all our seats and our various committees are, are filled. You know, which again is, a, you know, it, it's a great achievement. I think it's about 38 or 9 seats, I think. I'm not sure the exact number. Um, so that's a good place to be. Um, and, they are, and the members are contributing positively and constructively. Um, yet I know, and it's a good thing, is that they're not afraid to, to raise concerns as well and to challenge mm. the local government and other members about things. Um, mm. The structures of the, the SPCs themselves, I suppose, are a little bit, can be, you know, very formal, which I think sometimes people find a bit alien. Yeah, so, um, yeah. It wouldn't be a typical community meeting, but these are the structures that are in place for the, for the strategic policy committees. We have to go by the standing orders. We've been flexible in some cases, but it's a very formal meeting, and not like you're meeting in a community centre. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I certainly have experienced that myself where you, the, the, the lack of formality can have a lot of benefits from the grassroots perspective. But I suppose you are interacting with state structures and you, you need a degree of formality because things have to be recorded oh, yes. and done due process. So it probably speaks to the need for some sort of induction and mentorship and support for people to get involved because it could be intimidating for someone that has never yeah. engaged at that level. Yeah. I think so, and I think that the, the department and our resource worker and clerical support, you know, 
We have provided training. There has been funds made available through the PPN budget for like training and induction. Okay, um, it's something I would like the, ourselves in the exa- in the executive of the council is to maybe to engage more with that maybe and maybe we need some training and understanding ourselves. You know, I've got a good understanding of it because I work with it. Okay, mm. but, but in other areas, people might not have the same understanding. Yeah, or experience of it, you know, yeah. that I would have. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because even just the idea that it's the community need the training and induction, whereas it could be, oh, you know, yeah. clearly inside and outside. Yes. And yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. there's a lot there's a lot to figure out there. But I suppose you know it it is a microcosm in some ways of national government and in, in that how change is complex. Yes, and it can be inherently frustrating as well for people. Yeah, it can be frustrating, but I think we can see the benefits of it too. I yeah. Mean, I think local government, I would say, sometimes would be seen as being very traditional. But in many ways, you know, if you look over the, the history of local government in Ireland, things things have changed significantly. We've always embraced the challenges and changes. So d- despite what it may be being seen as a, a traditional, maybe almost unyielding structure in terms of local government, local government has adapted in many ways to many changes. You take Limerick, for example, when the creation of a new authority was a big concern of many people at the time took it on, we embraced it, and now it's working very successfully. I mean, and again, through strong leadership, both at executive level and at political level, it has succeeded. So, you know, we will be always changing. That's one thing about local government. Mm. Society changes, we have to change with it. To remain responsive. Yeah. Of course, yeah. 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 Otherwise, we're meaningless. Yeah, and and speaking of change, like one of the big changes that's happening at a national level uh, in certainly in the last um, nine months or so has been uh, the arrival of 55,000 or more Ukrainian people that are fleeing a a devastating and brutal war and that's out of seven million displaced people. um, And Limerick has has certainly opened its arms in, in a very positive and healthy way organizations like Doris yeah. and others are involved mm-hmm. and you've been very much involved in that as well I have indeed yeah and I think that um, you know we often speak about the displaced Ukrainians coming to Ireland and we talk about the agencies which have been excellent in terms of the supports we've got a very good collaborative approach in Limerick I think it works very well as I'm sure in other areas and the one thing we shouldn't forget though is the strength of the communities and the support the communities have given them um, this is more. This can be more evident sometimes in our, in rural areas, but it's in the urban areas too. Okay, where the communities have embraced their local Ukrainians, they have provided support for them. They've made sure that they were open. They opened the door to them to be involved in local community activities and make them feel part of the community. So, so we shouldn't underestimate the role of the communities in the Ukrainian response as well. Mm-hmm. But again, it has been a big challenge for the country. I think the government has been very good in this response and very open, despite the challenges we already have and I think people by and large are happy that we're taking the approach we're taking and you know we would I would say on that one is that of course many Ukrainians want to go home when the war finishes and it's safe to do so and that's what we would all want but you know hopefully some will stay as well because they are they are actually adding to our community and, yeah and, and even our economy if you want to absolutely that. absolutely and and just walking around Limerick this morning it's clear that it is uh it's a it's a very vibrant place but it's also uh, clearly now a modern multicultural place as well and there are people from all over the world and I suppose that's adding um mm-hmm. color and vibrancy and, and and different foods and musics and sights yeah, yeah, and sounds 
I suppose the way we would look at that is I think there's nearly 47% of the inner city population of Limerick are from what we call new community residents. So it's quite a significant um, population, you know, in terms of just the city centre alone. And how we would like to view that is basically, we often kind of use the phrase, you know, diversity advantage. You know, there are advantages in diversity. And very often when we look at the new communities, um, you know, we sometimes forget a sector there like, say, nurses, doctors, consultants, they're all part of the new communities, our student population from other countries. And they're all adding to the, you know, as well as everyone else, to the, to the benefits and, and, I suppose, the progression of Limerick as a city and county. And um, we would suddenly see the advantages of having a diverse population. Mm. And, um, you know, and many will stay here. This is their home now, mm. which, is, which is good news. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of, obviously, Limerick is uh, synonymous with being a very sporting county and rugby, hurling, football, the whole lot. And um, uh, there's a, a lad has a book out at the moment, Zach Maradi. He's a, a Iraqi refugee. He was originally a refugee, came from um, um, a Kurdish refugee from Iraq and ended up in, um, in Leitrim. And that's when he first encountered Harlan. Right, okay. And, and then he and his family end up moving to Tala. Uh, but he speaks uh, lovingly around the early integration of people in Leitrim. And obviously Leitrim's not particularly well known for its Harlan. Um, but he's a new book out and he, I think it's called Life Begins in Leitrim. But I'm imagining as we speak, there are many people now where life's beginning in Limerick. And... Yes. We don't know who's going to end up in the hurling team here or the football team. Right, okay. <laughs> well, it's it's true actually, and then with local clubs, sorry, with local GA clubs and soccer clubs, I mean they're all part of that community now, and they're welcome to it. Okay, um, like football, soccer is very strong in Limerick City, so they would have, um, you know, lots of them would be involved in in, in soccer, and um, we do lots of programs with the FAI to support um, soccer development here in Limerick mm. and. We would often have, a, I think one year we used to have, before COVID now, was like a World Cup competition for different nationalities out in UL. So, mm. but it, I mean, we would see sport as a good way of linking in people and not just sport, but leisure activities. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sport, food, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose the other thing, which I think is, 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 is happening anyway in sport in Ireland, is that there is a lot more, there's a lot, much more engagement now in individual sports as opposed to team sports. And that's one thing we did notice with a lot of with a lot of the communities is that when we held events like individual events, a large the numbers of the newer communities was higher than the local communities. Okay, well, what particular event or sport might you be talking about? Athletics, walking, you know, Interesting, cycling. Yeah, well, yeah. cycling is increased a lot here, but yeah, see a lot of Irish. If you organised an event, I was told, you know, that a yeah. lot of new communities would turn up to an individual event. Yeah, but lots of Irish people are tied into a team or a club. That's true. And they're born into it in, yes, in yeah. many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that with the Sanctuary Runners Project that yes. the people from all around the world and, and the local and the new communities come together for running. Yes. But running can be something that people do on their own. I know many people in direct provision use running in terms of their mental health and survival yeah. and so on. Yeah, but um, no, I mean, and again, arts and culture is another area that they would engage with. We yeah. support Africa Day here. Yeah, Africa Week really once a year, yeah. and again, music and food really would be a big part of that. And, yeah, and and them giving people an opportunity to demonstrate their own cultures and and, yeah. and 
So it's very, very positive, I think, in Limerick. Um, yeah, there's definitely an energy about the place, uh, city and county. And um, I suppose being married to Limerick woman, I'm, I'm on the team there as well. But, um, you know, just even the fact that, you know, the likes of Denise Chyla has been embraced as a real new Limerick kind of champion in the arts. And mm-hmm. uh, but but I also see that um, you know, d- diversity and new areas that are new enough to Limerick, they don't necessarily take anything away from the traditional cultures. Uh, like you still have your traditional sports and your traditional music. And clearly from the likes of Harlan, um, maybe we won't talk about football too much, but <laughs> or maybe we can. But um, it's clear that there's no shortage of uh, strength in, in, in the traditional cultures as well. Oh, no, it's very strong in Limerick. I mean, Limerick is a very proud city and county, um, not just of our sports, but of, of who we are, I suppose. I mean, in many ways, especially in the city, people looked as if, felt at times, I think that they were being treated, almost looked down upon because of the bad press that Limerick got. And, you know... The vast majority of Limerick people through all the periods of time have been are, are excellent people. They're really good people. And I think people found it difficult at the time with the media coverage of, of the mm. city particularly. Yeah. And you're kind of blend you know, you're all, you're kinda of labelled in the county as well. You're from Limerick, okay. Some people yeah. wouldn't but but no, there's a great pride about Limerick. There's a great history about Limerick. If you go back over the over the years and years and years you'll see that. And we will always be proud of Limerick. I mean not just of, of who we are ourselves, but also of our new, of our new, of our new residents. You know, we're, we're, we're proud of them. Well, your your pride is um, is very clear, and it's, mm-hmm. it's shining out. You've obviously um, put a lot of work into to the work as as everyone involved in the PBN at different sides are. are it, it's that kind of collective spirit, isn't it? And that's at the heart of all of this. Is the the community is about the whole, everyone in it together, and yeah. and that's clearly still strong in you. Yeah. It's not the reason there's, there's lots of reasons why it should be strong in me because I have witnessed loads of communities doing fantastic and amazing pieces of work, you know, be it during the COVID, be it during the Ukrainian crisis, be it, be it delivering projects at community level, be it environmental projects, be it capital projects for centres and support services. And in some ways, a lot of the work that I would do now and we would allocate you know, various grant schemes under leader funding, SICAP, Town and Village Renewal, I could go on. We'd achieve very little if we didn't have the communities with us, right? Because it's it's they come up with the idea, they come up with the concept. They then come up and say we can deliver it for you, just if we get the money, because we wouldn't deliver it without our communities. And more important of all, then, is that we know the project will be sustainable, because they have been involved in it from the, it has been their project from day one, and they will ensure that it is sustainable and will work and succeed. Mm-hmm. Well put. So um, as we conclude, Seamus, have uh, any parting uh, <laughs> lines that you'd like to leave us with in terms of as you reflect on all the work that's going on and the future for the city and county mm-hmm. and particularly community participation? Yeah. I suppose in many ways I would say look, we have to continue working together. We need to give each other, we need to give each other a chance because things, things always change. There will be challenges, okay? And I suppose have respect you know, for everyone involved in the process, okay? And that's not just for, for us, but for, for us, for our community people as well. And I think I would say to the communities, and not necessarily the PPN alone, but the ultimate, that, you know, be proud of what you're achieving, what you have achieved. I think that sometimes, you know, other people don't acknowledge the contribution you've made. 
And I think sometimes that you, the people themselves, actually don't really acknowledge the contribution that they've made themselves. Because it's very valuable, and a lot of communities would be very much weaker without that contribution and support. Thanks very much, Seamus. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Gormagat. Thank you for listening to the Limerick Community Voices podcast by Limerick Public Participation Network. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To find out more about the Limerick PPN and to get involved, visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.